So I want to preach to you today about take a good look. How many of you have ever looked at something and then, you know, knew that there was something off with it or something seemed a little bit strange? And so our life is really about perception. And to try and illustrate that to you, I'm going to ask the praise team to come up here right now. And, you know, you see them every week and they come up, but I'm wondering if you really ever take time to look closely. Everybody say, take a closer look. And uh, so sometimes things aren't always what they seem. Now, you know, Doug, Doug has been, Doug, Doug has been singing here for a long time. And we appreciate him. I don't know how many of you noticed that Alex got a haircut. And, and, and all that hair that was on Alex's head fell on Doug's head. Doug decided to dye it. And, uh, and then... Mine stayed the same. Mine stayed the same, too. Has anybody else changed? Jasmine, that's right. You used to be a brunette. No, no. <laughs> so jazz, see, here's the thing is some of us immediately noticed. Give them a big hand. Thank you. You can. Now, guys, I'm going to be looking for you back down here. <laughs> so sometimes things change, but we don't perceive the change. Other times things, we look at things, but they're not really what they appear. If you would, John Matthew, hit that picture for me. So, you know, you've seen those snow globes. That's not what this is. That's not a picture of a windmill inside of a glass ball. You're looking at what's on the other side of the glass ball, but the perception is that it's inside because the camera is focused. Uh, if he were to move the glass ball on the other side, you would see the windmill. As a matter of fact, if you look down here, you can kind of see the reflection of the windmill in the water. And so it's a, it, it's a little bit of a deception of what we see or how we see it. Hit the next one. Everybody knows a duck is a duck is a duck, right? Unless it's a banana. Now, see, you, you, you see, when you first saw that, how many of you saw a duck? How many of you saw a banana when you first saw it? How many of you still aren't sure what you're looking at? Okay, go to the next one. Now, do you see the white vase? Or do you see two faces? Or do you see both? What did you see first? How many of you saw the faces first? Hold your hand up. How many of you saw the vase first? Hold your hand up. How many of you still haven't seen anything? <laughs> so it's, it's, it's perception. Go ahead. Now here, this one's unique. I want you to take a look and see. And, and, and I wonder how many of you saw an old lady first? Some of you still trying to see her. How many of you saw, how many of you saw a young lady? 
How many of you have, how many of you have not seen the old lady yet? Okay, let me, let me hold. Well, you're a little closer to her age, Leonard, so. <laughs> you're on the lookout. I know, okay. Here's her eye right here. Here's her nose, and here's her smile. Now do you see her? Well, there's some people you just can't help. <laughs> I'm saying sometimes you can be looking at something and not see it, and it's there. And somebody else looks at something, and they see something totally different than what you're seeing. So say goodbye to the... Oh, we, we're doing this today in honor of Grandparents' Day. That was... Oh, how many of you, my goodness, how many of you saw that? How many of you see that and it looks like it's moving right now? Wave your hand if it looks like it's moving. Isn't that something? And that's, you know, and if you look at that long enough, it'll give you a real bad headache. Okay, go ahead. You can take that down. When I first looked at that, I thought, what is going on? Because all of a sudden I saw that moving and I knew it couldn't be moving, that it was a, it was a still shot. But because of what I'm perceiving, it's causing it to move in my mind. I, I thought about how important it is that, how important our perception is and that we make sure that we're seeing the right thing. If any of you have ever flown before, if you've uh, been in small planes, you understand that perception can give you a successful flight or it can take your life. When John uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. died from that flight, it was about his perception. When you're only visually rated, I think they call it VFR, when you're only visually flight rated, then that means that you haven't learned to read the instrument panel, so you have to rely on what you're seeing. The problem is, is that when you get in the air, your senses can mess with you, and you can get into something that's called vertigo, and vertigo will turn your world upside down. So I've, I've, I have a friend that's a pilot, and he talked to me about he was flying in clouds, and he said, and all of a sudden, he said, man, everything started to go backward, and he said, you don't know how hard it was for me to keep my focus on the panel in front of me so that I, I, he said, I was so tempted to look out the window. He said, but I knew that if I was looking out the window, I was going to be deceived because what I was seeing actually wasn't there. When Robert, I believe it was Robert Kennedy Jr. died in that plane crash, was it John Kennedy Jr.? When John Kennedy Jr. died in that plane crash, a lot of people believe that what happened is he had vertigo. He wasn't instrument rated. He was only visually rated, and he was flying at night. And so what can happen is when you're flying at night, you can see ships on the ocean with their lights on, and you get messed up in your mind, and you think there are stars in the sky. And so all of a sudden you start correcting because you feel like you're, you're that, that you're, you, you feel like you're pulling up because of what you're seeing. So you push the plane down. And that's what they think he did because when he crashed, he came in hot 
and, and fast. Perception. Now, having said that, I want you to listen to James 1, 22 and 24. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving or yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. What's he saying? He's saying, look, it's not enough that you hear the word. You have to obey the word. Because if you don't, you're like some guy that looked in the mirror and you forgot who you were. You just lose track of it. How many of you, here's a problem though, is sometimes we think we're obeying the word and we're not. Anybody ever been there? Have you ever had a time in your life where you really felt like you were doing what, you know, that you were obeying what God was telling you only to find out that you weren't obeying at all? That, that you were kind of doing what you wanted to do and God had to get your attention. Anybody ever been there? No, nope. oh, one, two people? Okay. We, we, we wrestle with these things, don't we? Because we're in this flesh. Think about the Apostle Paul. He thought he was doing the will of God and he was having people put to death, but thought he was doing the will of God. How easy is it for us to get confused in what we do? God, let me give you a classic example. King Saul is the first king of Israel. He's a head and shoulders taller than everyone else, but he, when it came time to anoint him king, they had to find him because he hid himself. He didn't feel like he was enough. And so he's anointed king. He begins to operate in that, and God uses him and blesses him. God instructs him to go kill all the Amalekites. If you remember, the Amalekites attacked Israel when they came out of Egypt. They ambushed them and they tried to destroy them. So now that Israel's established, God's saying, we're going to take care of the Amalekites for what they did to your ancestors. And so Saul is commissioned to go in and wipe out the entire city, every person, every animal, everything. But he doesn't do it. He, he goes in and he starts picking and choosing. Now watch, when Samuel finds him, listen to the conversation that goes on between Samuel and King Saul. This is found in 1 Samuel 15, verse 13. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what is all the bleeding of sheep and the goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? Oh, it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted, but they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We've destroyed everything else. And Samuel said to Saul, stop and listen to what the Lord told me last night. Look at verse 17. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Verse 20, 
But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifice or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the fat of rams. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. How many of you, when you were younger, had a rough time listening to what your parents had to say because you thought you knew more? You thought that you had life all figured out. I started to have a bumper sticker made. I was going to put it on the back of my car. Why didn't I face all these problems when I was 16 and knew everything? Because in, in, at that age, there's just something about us that makes us feel like, oh, well, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. But then we end up in trouble because we don't know what we're doing. What's unique about this is after, did you pick up on the conversation they're having? Samuel is pointing out what Saul did wrong. But Saul keeps insisting that he did what God wanted him to. You ever find yourself in a place where you want something so bad, all of a sudden what you want has become the will of God, <laughs> and instead of the will of God being the will of God, that now what you want is that. I think about how we get so bent on doing our own thing. How many of you as a, when you were younger, really wanted to dress yourself. You know what I'm talking about, when you were, when you were a child. Yeah. You know, you, you, didn't, you didn't want mom laying out your wardrobe. My wife was so rebellious. She didn't even hear what I said. It's too late now. You'll have to read the tape. Okay. So what, what she... She, she, get, she goes and she gets her pajamas. And she goes, you know what? This pajama top matches this skirt. And so off she goes to school with her pajama top and skirt. And somebody sees her in school and she goes through school. Man, and she's, I mean, she's fashioning, you know, she's got it going on. And all of a sudden somebody comes up to her and she says, Oh, I, I love that top. I got some pajamas that are just like that. <laughs> Debbie never breathed a word. Oh, you did? Oh, she did. She told me, these, these are my pajamas. And so it, it, it becomes about, I, I, I'm going to do what I want to do. And the truth is, is none of us get through life without that. There's something in us that wants to do what we want to do. The problem is that that can cost you dearly. It costs Saul the kingdom. Now, listen to what Saul says after he's been told all of this, after Samuel has told him that he's, he, he's disobeyed God. Listen to what his reply is to this. 15 and verse 30. Instead of seeking God's forgiveness, he starts seeking his own honor. Listen to what he says. 
Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return to me that I may worship the Lord your God. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, I know I messed up. He doesn't, it's amazing to me because he doesn't immediately respond, hey, forgive me for this. Instead, he's saying, hey, I know I've sinned, but honor me. He was more worried about what people perceived him to be rather than what God perceived him to be. How many of you ever got yourself in trouble because you were trying to impress friends rather than obeying God? That all of a sudden you, got, you found yourself in a place you didn't want to be because you were pressured into it or because you were trying to create an image of something you're not. Do you know what it's like to try and live your life and make believe all the time? And God, God, God loves you. You, not, not your image of yourself, not, not when you get it all right, but he loves you. And he wants us to be transparent with him. Look at David. David understood the need to focus on God and to make sure that he was focused on the right thing. The whole army of Israel is being sidelined by one man coming out and marching and threatening and challenging them to send a man to fight. The guy's name is Goliath. He's nine feet and nine inches tall, and he has silenced an entire army. But when David showed up, David saw the giant, but David wasn't focused on the giant. David was focused on God. And when your focus is on God, the giant doesn't seem near as big as he used to. He makes a statement and he says, who does he think he is to find the armies of the living God? Listen to me. The devil's always going to try and intimidate you. He's always going to try and sideline you. But when you make up your mind that I'm not going to focus on him, I'm going to focus on God, your whole world is about to change. And David went out to face Goliath and he told him, he said, listen, he said, I used to take care of sheep, and I know in your eyes, I'm just a kid. Because Goliath said, you, you send a, a kid out here with a stick in his hand? He said, come on out here, boy. He said, I'll bust you up. I'm going to feed you to the beasts of the earth and the fowls of the air. But David doesn't focus on what he's saying. He's focusing on what God's done for him. He said, I used to take care of some sheep. And I had a lion and a bear try and steal those sheep out of my hand. And he said, and the same God that delivered that lion and bear into my hand is going to deliver that giant into my hand. Don't allow what you're going through at the present moment to steal away the victory that belongs to you when you get focused on God. Take a good look. Everybody say it with me one more time. Take a good look. How many of you have ever bought a car that you wished you hadn't? See, sometimes what happens is we're looking at the paint job or we're listening to how good the radio works. And we're not looking at the engine. We're not taking time to take a good look and find out whether or not they've put additive in the oil. 
Is there something they're trying to hide? Is there something they're trying to conceal? The devil's always trying to hide something from you. When David focused on God, David won the victory, but there's another time in David's life when David got out of focus. You remember where it said that the time came when kings went out to battle and David stayed home. And when David stayed home, David took a walk out on his roof one day and he looked out across Jerusalem and he saw a young lady bathing. I don't believe that he set that up. I don't believe that it was intentional. I believe he accidentally saw her, but he kept looking at her. Hear me, you're not going to get through life without seeing things that could have a detrimental impact on you if you keep looking at them, if you keep focusing on them. So you have to break your focus. But David didn't. David was caught, his eye caught Bathsheba, and David focused on Bathsheba. And when he focused on Bathsheba, he lost focus of God. And it comes crashing in on him. Now, you may say, but pastor, why, why did God take the kingdom away from Saul and he doesn't do that to David? Well, if you look at the way they respond, you'll find out why. Saul responded by blaming everyone else. Saul kept insisting, I didn't do anything wrong. I did what God wanted me to. But when David is caught on what he's done, David begins to cry out to God. David's not worried about keeping the throne. He begins to cry out to God and say, come and heal these bones that you've broken. He said, Lord, he said, you've got, you've got to heal my heart. He's not worried about the throne. He's saying, look, you, you can have the throne, but I've got to have you. Don't don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Listen to his cry in the 51st chapter of Psalm. Listen to what he says. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. What's David saying? David's saying, you can have the throne, but please don't walk away from me. I've got to have you. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And listen to what he says. He said, if you do this, then I promise you that sinners, transgressors are going to hear about this. How? I'm going to go tell them how great you are. I'm going to tell them about your amazing grace. I'm not going to try and hide my sin. I'm not going to try and hide the past. I'm going to declare before everybody, look what God has done in my life. Look how he rescued me. When the devil tried to take me out, God bore me up. He refused to allow the enemy to have me. He celebrates that salvation. Sometimes we get so focused on us that I'm not fit and I'm not worthy and I'm not, I, I'm not able. And we don't, even, we don't even realize that we've allowed the devil to shift our focus. We're not looking at God anymore. We're looking at ourselves. 
And the Bible said that our righteousness is like filthy rags. I don't need to take a look at myself to know I'm rotten. Oh, don't anybody get excited here. And I don't have to look at you too long. <laughs> you see, the Bible said, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody say, come short. So no matter how good you think you are, you're not good enough. And no matter how bad you think you are, you're not bad enough to be able to separate yourself from the grace and the grip uh, of Jesus Christ. Take a good look. It's what Paul understands, and, 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 and Paul can relate to David. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 and 15. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Everybody say, everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I'm telling you, he came into this world to save sinners. The reason I know is because I held one of the number one positions. And he's saying, and he saved me so that other people like you could take a look at my life and say, wow, if he can save a rat like that, <laughs> if he can save somebody as messed up as he is, if he could save someone that was, had, that was so twisted like that guy was, then surely he can save me. I said, he can save me. I remember the Lord spoke to me one day to go talk to this young man. And I, I drove to his house and knocked on his door and nobody was there. I mean, his, his mother came to the door and I said, where's Earl at? And he said, well, Earl's not here. And I was standing at the door and I said, well, I, I don't know. And she's looking at me and I said, I, I know God spoke to me to come and talk to Earl. I said, you, you sure Earl's not here? And she said, no, he's not here. And all of a sudden she looks up and Earl's walking down the road. And he comes up on the porch and he said, I, I can't explain what happened. He said, I, I was three miles away out in the field driving a tractor. And he said, and all of a sudden I felt God speak to me and say, go home. He said, so I shut the tractor off and I walked three miles home. <laughs> And God made sure that Earl got there about the same time I did. And I looked at Earl and I started talking to Earl about how God wanted to save him. And Earl started shaking his head at me and saying, no, no, God, God can't save me. And I got, I got about, have you ever been almost fed up? So I was listening to what Earl was saying, and I was almost fed up. And then I got fed up. And I looked at Earl, and I said, Earl, would you do me a favor? 
And he said, what's that? I said, would you quit telling God what he can and can't do? I said, you, you saying that you think God can't save? What makes you think you're such a special sinner that God can't save? He saved a whole lot worse than you. Uh, he saved me. <laughs> and when he finally got a taste of grace, he didn't want to taste anything else. He didn't want to let go of it. And Paul talks to us about this. He's saying, listen, I've experienced this. But if you're not careful, you'll let the devil browbeat you and beat you down to the point that you feel like you're too low to scratch a snake's belly. You, you, you start believing the mess he's saying because you're looking at yourself instead of looking at God. Take a look at God. Everybody look at Brian. Stand up, Brian. Stand up, Brian. Come on, stand up. Man, if God can save Brian. <laughs> what, what are you talking? I, I'm saying we let the devil magnify what's wrong with us. And what we ought to do is when people start talking about how rotten you are, you ought to say, you know, you're right. Isn't God's grace amazing that he would reach into a life like mine and just turn it around? I'm not trying to defend my honor. I'm trying to celebrate his grace. I'm trying to let people know that he's alive and he's well and he's able. David's the king of Israel. And David's saying, come and heal these bones that you broke. And if you save me, there's going to be a whole lot of people getting saved because I'm going to go tell them about your grace. Everybody say, tell them. Paul makes a statement in the, the ninth chapter of 1 Corinthians. He starts talking, and he said that when I was weak, I became weak. When I, was, when I was with those that were without law, I became as one without law, but not without law to God. In other words, he's saying, I still kept my integrity with God. He said, I became all things to all men, that by all means I might save some. I have entered in on conversations that I knew little about, but they didn't know it. They thought I was an expert in the field. What were you doing? I was trying to gain common ground with them. I was trying to get to a point where I could talk to them about the Lord. I remember Debbie going into a... a uh, Drug Emporium. How many of you have ever heard of a drug emporium? They were throughout Texas and Arkansas. And we used to go in there. You could get cologne and perfume, really good stuff, really cheap. Wish I could find one around here. <laughs> she goes in, and there's a lady that's behind the counter, and she's got, I think it was pink or blue hair. And Debbie goes, oh, your hair matches your outfit. That was a goodwill. This is my story. I'll tell it the way I want you weren't listening a minute ago. Don't listen to. 
So, so, okay, this is a Goodwill. So she tells this, she tells this lady at a Goodwill, and she's, she's telling her that. And what's she doing? She's trying to find common ground with her. And so she started talking to her, and all of a sudden, that girl started to open up, and Debbie had an opportunity to start sharing with her about the goodness of God and the grace of God. She made sure that that girl didn't feel like that Debbie felt like that she was better than her. See, you can't walk around with your nose up in the air acting like you're all that in a bag of chips because you're not. But what you've got to do is you've got to take a good look and remember where God brought you from. And if he could save you, then he can save... I said, then he can save anyone. So Paul says, look, he says, I... Let, let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 9, starting with verse 25. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. Everybody say it with me. Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm not just hearing the word. I'm doing the word. I'm not, I, I'm not trying to find my way. I'm trying to fulfill his way. He says, and he, he says that he does this, discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear after preaching to others, I myself might become disqualified. Sometimes if we're not careful after we've lived for God for a while, we feel like we got seniority. <laughs> And we forget that we're still a sinner that's been saved by grace. We, we feel like somehow all of a sudden, and you don't have to say anything about this because I, I know you probably have never done this in your life. But every once in a while, if you're not careful, you can look at someone whose life is really messed up and start going, man, I can't believe they do that. And you forget all about what you used to do. We forget the shape we were in when Jesus found us. Daryl was up here a moment ago talking about how that he was saying, God, fix me, fix me. He knew something was wrong with him. Yeah. Kelly, did you know something was wrong with him? Kelly knew something was wrong with him. Matter of fact, everybody that knew Daryl knew something was wrong with him. How many of you know that there was something wrong with you? Wave your hand. If you knew there was something wrong with you. If you didn't know there was anything wrong with you, just hang around after church and I'll clarify some things with you. We all got stuff wrong with us. 
But the problem is, is if we're not careful, we forget how good God was to us in rescuing us. And we start walking around like we got it all together. I'm telling you that the hope of the world isn't you walking around feeling like you're holier than everybody else. And the hope of the world isn't you walking around feeling like you're no good and you don't count and you don't matter. The hope of the world is you recognizing the grace of God and how excited you are that he visited your house, that he changed your life and turned everything around. Everybody say, turn it around. How many of you are ready to turn some things around today? Would you stand with me? Just, just stand with me one time. For by grace are you saved. Not by works lest any man should boast. And, and this is the gift of God. Grace is the gift of God. We live in a world today that is in dire need to feel the grip of grace. We live in a world that's fastly losing sight of who they are and who God made them to be. In a world that is so insecure that they hide from parents the emotions of their children. And they don't give godly counsel, but they give counsel that destroys lives. And what we need is not someone marching through downtown declaring repent because you're all a bunch of stinking sinners. I knew I was a sinner. I didn't need anybody to tell me. What I needed was somebody to tell me that God loved me and he wanted to rescue me and change me. Everybody say, I need a change. I need a change. There was a student in a college classroom and the professor got up and started railing against God. Saying, is there anybody in here that even believes in this myth called God? And this young man stood up he knew he was getting ready to face an attack. That professor went after him. I can't believe you believe in God and just started going on and on. And he looked at me and said, I'll tell you what. He said, I'll prove to you once and for all that there's no God right here. And he held up a glass beaker and he said, if there's a God, when I drop this beaker, he said on this floor, it was a hard floor. He said, then it won't break if there's a God. And he, he starts going on and the young man, and he made the young man stand up. So the young man's standing up in front of the class and, and he's, you know, laughing at him. And all of a sudden, he, the beaker slipped out of the professor's hand. And when it did, it rolled down his arm and he was trying to grab it. And he came up and it rolled down his pants and it rolled down his leg and rolled into the floor and didn't break. 
See, the truth is, is the professor was the one that was trying to prove something. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove your worth. He did. <laughs> when he went to Calvary and stretched out his arms there and died for us, he proved our worth. All he's asking us to do now is believe it. Believe that you're worth it. Believe that he has a call on your life and a purpose for you. David said, save me and I'll make sure that there are going to be many sinners, one, because I'm going to declare your goodness and your grace wherever I go. If you're in here today and you don't know him, I want you to know that he loves you so much he'd rather die for you than live without you. He's already proven it. He's done that. And he did it, the Bible said, while we were still sinners. In other words, before we ever said yes, he said yes to us. So the question is, what will your answer be for him today? Will you say, yes, Lord, here I am. I need you. If you've already done that, if you've already said yes to the Lord, but you wrestle with your self-perception about your worth, whether or not you're good enough, I can tell you up front, you're not. I'm not. None of us are good enough for his grace, but he's good enough to give it. And so all we have to do is receive it. So if you've received that and you've experienced that, then you need to share that. How many of you in here have felt yourself in the grip of his grace? Would you just do a hand clap right now if you've done that? How many of you in here today have someone that you would like to see in the grip of his grace? Would you give a hand clap? Okay. Now, this is what I want to do because God's given you a unique opportunity. God says it, it, it can happen. It's going to happen, but I'm going to use you to make it happen. Are you ready? Now, I want you to come out of your pew where you're at right now to the front of this building and say, I'm ready, God. Use me. Use me. Can you imagine... I, I want you to stop for a second and think. Can you imagine if your, you know, I've, I've got a five-year-old granddaughter now, and she goes on adventure day every Thursday with us. Last Thursday I couldn't go, so I went Friday, and I called to get her, and she said, she said that they they were at a place eating and she communicated to her mother she said tell papa i want him to come here and eat with us could you imagine how she would have felt if i said no i'm too busy for that i don't have time for that god would never do that how do you know that because i know what he said he said behold i stand at the door and knock and if you'll open that door <laughs> i'll come in and eat with you I'll come in and sit down with you and we're going to have a grand old time. 
but I'm knocking. You're the one that has to open. You're the one that has to open. The question is, will you? Will you open the door and let him come in? And if you'll, if you'll do that for him and let him in, then what about when he's knocking at your door and he's saying, hey, there's somebody over there that I want you to tell them about me. I want you to tell them how much I love them and how much I care about them. When I grab up little Dutch, he's a year and a half. When I grab him up and I start to do this with him, and, and I've, I've never had him, I've never had him grab me out of fear. I've never had him begin to scream while I had him in my arms. Why? Because he trusts the arms he's in. Do you trust him? Do you trust that he's going to do for you what he said he would do? Do you trust him enough to let him use you to touch somebody else? If you do, I want you to raise your hands to heaven with me right now. Would you do it? Pray this prayer with me. Father, I come to you today asking you to use me. I want people to know how good you are. I want them to experience your grace the same way I experienced it. And so I say, yes, here I am, use me. I believe you're more than enough. And I offer myself to you right here, right now, in Jesus' name. Come on and give my hand clap of praise in this house. Thank you, Lord. As they sing this song, if you've got a need, a special need, we're going to ask you to come. We're going to pray with you. But I'm asking you specifically this week, go out and tell somebody about Jesus. Go out and share him. I'm, I'm, I'm going to share this, and I'm going to leave you with this. Sometimes we go through things that we don't understand. And we start thinking, God, why is this happening to me? instead of looking around and seeing the opportunity that God may give you in that moment. So when I went in the hospital at the early part of this week, I didn't, I didn't understand the why. But when we were in Barnes, there was a nurse that came into the room and she was away from God didn't know that at first but so I was I don't remember what they were doing to me but Debbie got a hold of her and when Debbie got a hold of her and all of a sudden she started talking to her about her life and she started to share scriptures with her and that girl broke this nurse broke down and started crying and then the next thing that started happening she started speaking in tongues and so all through that Barnes hospital you could hear this woman She's supposed to do a broadcast with her this week. What are you going for? I'm just going to hang out. <laughs> I'm saying that no matter where we're at and no matter what we find ourselves in, God will get some use out of it if you let him. Amen. Come on, let's give him another hand clap of praise. Sing it. Pastor. All of my hope <laughs> is in the name 
dedicated leader and has led us this far and Lord we know that your hands are on his life and on his ministry and God right now we just lift him up we ask you to watch over every situation of this surgery Lord we ask you to anoint the surgeons be with every nurse and every technician every anesthesiologist everything that goes on keep your hand upon them Lord and watch him Lord, you've already done healings. You've already done miracles. And we ask him for a great miracle this week. We ask you to give, take away any fear or doubt that anyone would have. But we speak peace to this situation. We speak anointing to them as they witness on that floor in that hospital at Barnes this week. In Jesus' name, amen. All of my hopes is in the name, the name of Jesus. Breakthrough will come, come in the name, the name of Jesus. All of my hope is in the name, the name of Jesus. Breakthrough will come.
Turn it around. God turn it around. God turn it around. 